everybody. My name is Wyatt Mickle, and this is my podcast. In this podcast, we discover what the Bible says and learn how to love God, to love people. Thank you for everyone who listened to my first podcast. I am very thankful for you all and for your support with that. Today, in our podcast, we are going to be asking a very important question. That question is, what do you have to do to get into heaven? Many people think this is the only part of Christianity. I have someone that asked this question, and this is a very important question and I am so happy that this can be the first thing that I answer and with that let's answer the question what do you have to do to get into heaven to start off I would like to address one thing And that is that this is probably what a lot of people think Christianity is all about. What do I have to do to get into heaven? Like, makes sense. That's what the Bible teaches, right? That we are born into the world. We go through life and we do either a lot of good or a lot of bad And when we die, we either enter into the golden gates with the clouds and singing praises to God for all eternity, or we enter through the gates of hell and into the subterranean torture chamber. And that's it. That's the end of the story, right? I want to make it clear that this is not at all the focus of Christianity. There is so much more to what we believe and our hope, and so I I really want to address that today. So where should we begin from here? I I think the best place to begin would be, of course, the beginning of the Bible. And the first verse that we see is in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So the first chapter of the Bible, we see God create the universe. This is an amazing chapter of the Bible that a lot of people don't quite grasp because we're reading an ancient text. It's obviously not going to make sense to us in the modern day. But as we study this text, and we learn how to read it, it becomes a lot more clear to us. And so the first chapter of the Bible is about God's creation of the universe and him basically establishing his sovereignty over everything. God is the creator of all, and he has power over it. After the creation, we see this is where we come into the story says, 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So far in the story, we see God created the whole universe. God said seven times what he made was good. And in the world, we see that God creates humans, not just like any other animal, but in his own image. And he allows us humans to partner with himself and to rule over what he has created. And the third chapter, we see this mysterious figure, serpent, come into the garden. And keep in mind that God had already created us in his image. And within the garden as well, he had planted this tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He told Adam and Eve, hey, don't eat from this tree. That's the only rule is everything creation you are allowed to rule over, but you are not able to eat from this tree. So we see the serpent comes into the garden and comes to the humans and says, did God really say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And he was like, well, hey, we can eat from the trees, the garden. But God said, do not eat from the tree that is in the midst of the garden, lest you die. We've already seen that the serpent has twisted what God has said. But he continues, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God in knowing good and evil. So in the first chapter of the Bible, we see that God had created humanity in his image already. And we see evil come in and tempt the humans by saying, Hey, you can be like God. You can decide for yourself what's good and what's evil. And that's a clear lie because we're already made in the image of God and God says that the humans are good. Everything in creation that he's made is good. But the humans do what is good in their own eyes. And they take from the tree of good and evil and decide what is good and what is bad on their own terms. And this starts a downward spiral for the next 11 chapters of the Bible till we get to the city of Babylon and this is at the pinnacle of human rebellion against God. So in the garden narrative at the end, when the humans are kicked out of the garden, there's this picture of this person who will come and restore this relationship with God and humanity. In chapter 3, verse 15, it says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So it shows this picture of someone, this snake crusher who will come and crush the snake, the evil, and will bring about this restoral of relationship between humans and God. And from this human rebellion, God chooses a family. This is the family of Abraham, which is called Israel. 
but God promises to Abraham, through this family, I'm going to bless the nations. So we see from the garden and to Abraham that because of our choice to do what's good and evil in our own eyes, we have been separated from God. We have been separated from a relationship with him. And so God picks this family to bless the nations and to restore that original relationship with all humanity that was in the garden. And so the rest of the story of the Bible continues to unfold. We see uh, this family. So we see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob in the future gets called Israel. And he has his 12 sons, which is the family of Israel. This family grows and grows into the nation of Israel. And there's the whole story of the enslavement in Egypt. And we get to this point where the Israelites are freed from captivity. And they're at this mountain called Sinai, where God gives them these commandments. I'm guessing many of you know that that's the Ten Commandments, but on top of that Ten Commandments, there are over 600 other laws that God gives the Israelites. And he says, if you follow these laws, you will be a nation of priests. And what does Israel do? They break the law right as they get it. They go and worship a golden calf, a false god, and they say, this is your God that has delivered you from Egypt. And we see the same thing that was in the garden, where instead of following what God has said is good, humans have decided to worship a God of their own making and choose what is good in their own eyes. God, even though in the midst of this rebellion, he continues to bless the family, which is absolutely amazing. And then they enter into the land that God had promised them, where their nation grows, and they end up electing this king. In the garden story, at the end, there is this picture of someone who is to come that will bring about this restoration of the relationship with humanity and God. And then this promise gets continued into the family of Abraham, which I shared about. It is continued in this promise to Jacob or Israel's son, Judah. This promised redeemer of the world is continued through this line of Judah and as we see in the nation of Israel, they start electing kings to rule over them. Instead of having God be their ruler, they decide to have kings rule over them. And this person named King David, who is from the line of Judah, he seems like a really great guy. He takes down this giant and he is a powerful man and he loves the Lord Maybe he's the person who will restore this relationship. Well, he isn't. He falls into the same temptation that was in the garden. 
where humans decide to choose what's good and evil on their own terms. How he said that God gave Israel the law, and if the Israelites obeyed the law, then they will be blessed. So for a while, the nation of Israel, they keep the law, and they end up not obeying the law fully because they're sinful, and they also decide what's good and evil on their own terms. And so the question is, how, if they break the law, how are they going to be in the presence of God? How are they going to be in relationship with him? They're the people that God made a promise with. And so God creates this system of animal sacrifice. And it might be confusing to us today, like, what is the purpose of this? And it is a very important practice because of Israel's sin and their disobedience of the laws, they can't be in the presence of God because he is so good. Sin separates us from God. That is why we cannot be in his presence, because he is so good and we are so sinful. And so the Israelites are full of sin, and if anyone enters into the presence of God because he is so good, they die. That is how good God is is that we are so bad that when we enter into God's presence, we die. And so the animal sacrifice, what it is, the sin of the person who brings the sacrifice, that sin is transferred in a way onto that animal in place of the person. So the animal dies in the place of the person so that the people of Israel can be in relationship with God. And that is the whole a temple system and tabernacle that they create in the wilderness. And this continues on for the rest of Israel's history. The kings come and each one fails. They think maybe this is the one who will bring about the redemption of Israel and each king fails. And this is another spiral of rebellion against God and ultimately leads up to them being exiles in Babylon. They're taken prisoners from their home and are captives in Babylon now. So the question is, how is God going to, how are we going to get into the presence of God? How how are we going to get into heaven? Because we still have these laws. And my question for you is, have you kept all these laws? Have you lied? Have you stolen anything? Have you done anything that is sexually immoral? Have you used God's name in vain? And not only these things, but Jesus comes along and makes it even harder. He says, if you hate someone, they're basically murdering them in your heart. If you just look at someone with lust... You have committed adultery. So, what is it? What can you do to get into heaven? What can I do to get into heaven? And the answer to that question is nothing. There is nothing that we can do to get into the presence of God and be in relationship with him. Let me read a verse in Romans This is what Paul writes. None is righteous. No one. 
not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And some of you might be like, well, I'm a good person. I love people. I am charitable. I help people that are in need. I open the door for people when they are entering a building. I'm at least not as bad as Hitler. And that's just us comparing each other to other humans. But what the Bible is saying is that we need to compare ourselves to God. And our goodness compared to God is what the Bible puts it, basically crap. It's poop. <laughs> our goodness compared to God's goodness is filth. And so the idea of having to do good to get into heaven is the biggest lie that you have to do good to get into heaven. And so we've learned that we were once in a relationship with God, and that was broken because because humans decided to do what was good on their own terms, and that ended poorly. We see this family that we see God promise, and they ultimately fail. They are given this law, and if they obeyed the law, then they'd be blessed, and they fail. The kings that are appointed, they fail. And so what do you do to get into heaven? And the answer to that is nothing. There's nothing that we can do. So the captives in exile to Babylon, they end up getting released after 70 years and they return back to their homeland. But they're still under this foreign rule by Greece. And then eventually they get ruled by Rome. And then we see this person come onto the scene, Jesus. He's like no one else in the Bible. We see that everyone, each leader, even Moses, the guy that parted the Red Seas and got the commandments from God, he sinned and he fell short of the law. And every person needed to have a sacrifice in their place so that they could be in the presence of God. That sacrifice system eventually failed because they ended up worshiping other gods than the true God of Israel, but not Jesus. Jesus comes on to, to the scene, and we see that he goes out and is tempted by the same evil that was in the garden. He says, if you bow down and worship me, this whole world will be yours. And Jesus says, get out of here. You are to worship God alone. And Jesus, he lives this perfect life without sin. And in the end, the people of Israel kill him on the cross. And the amazing part is after three days, he rises again. You see, Jesus did what we couldn't. He came and he fulfilled the law. He obeyed the law perfectly where we couldn't. And he was someone who could be in the presence of God. In fact, the Bible tells us in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the word, this word 
is actually, we see, is Jesus. Jesus is fully God and fully man. God himself came down in the midst of our evil, lived a perfect life, a life that we couldn't live, and he died on a cross for our sins. This picture of animal sacrifice in the Bible, where the sins of the people are put onto the sheep that was sacrificed on the altar, God himself on the cross now bears our sins, the sins of the entire world, and dies in our place so that we may be in relationship with God. Jesus took the sins of the entire world upon himself so that we may be in the presence of God. This is what Isaiah the prophet said. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That is who Jesus is. Throughout the entire Old Testament, we see pictures of Jesus. And like I said, Israel was slaved to Egypt, and I'm sure you've heard of the plagues. The last plague, there is this meal that is performed, and it's called the Passover meal, where a lamb that is without spot or blemish is killed, and its blood is wiped over the door frames of the Israelites' house, so that when the angel of death came, the angel would pass over Israel's homes, and there's other parts of this meal, but the two main components that we see in Christianity today is the wine as the blood of Jesus, the bread as the body of Jesus, and the picture of the lamb dying so that death would pass over the people. The lamb died in Israel's place so that they may not die. We see other pictures of Christ throughout the Old Testament. We see prophecies about him like the one that I just read in Isaiah. And the whole scripture, the whole Old Testament points to Jesus because Jesus came and did what we could not that is, live a sinless life, and even though he was sinless, he still died in the place of us, so that we might be in relationship with God. So, what are the requirements for us to get into heaven? 
The only thing that we can do is look upon Jesus and put our faith in him. Faith today is a word that many people describe as belief without evidence, but biblically, faith is more of a trust. So when I say put your faith in Jesus, I mean put your trust in Jesus because he took your sins. Now, if Jesus would have died on the cross and would have stayed dead, then he would have been like everyone else in history. He would have just been dead. He, he would have been like everyone else because he, he would have been affected by death. But to show that he is who he truly says he is, he raised to life on the third day. That is so amazing. So there is nothing that we can do to get into heaven. The only thing that we can do is put our trust in what Jesus did for us and what he accomplished on the cross where he took our sins and died for us, but not only died, but conquered death to show that we are alive in him, to show that he is truly God. And this is a gift from God. I had someone ask me, what is the best gift that you'd ever received? And I told them Jesus. And they asked, "What? how is Jesus the best gift that you have ever received? And this is why. God created humans in his image. And we as humans, we sinned against God and decided to do what's good and evil in our own eyes. And throughout history, we have continued to rebel against God. In the midst of our rebellion, God himself came down in the person of Jesus and took our sins upon himself and died for us so that we may be in the presence and relationship with him. And death did not have the last say either. Jesus proving that he was the Christ raised from the dead on third day. That is absolutely beautiful. God, that you would take my sins, even though I did not deserve it, because I have rebelled against you so many times. Because I have lied, I have stolen, I have hated people, I have had lust in my heart, I have judged people unfairly, and you still died for me, so that you can be in relationship with me. That is our ultimate hope. Our hope is in Jesus not getting into heaven one day when I die. In fact, the the truth is many people think, oh, we're going to die and then we're going to spend rest of eternity in heaven when that's not what the Bible says. In the end of the Bible, we get this picture of heaven and earth reuniting again like it was in the beginning of the Bible where God comes to be with his people, and he wipes every tear from their eyes. This heavenly Jerusalem comes out of heaven and unites with earth in a new creation. And we don't stay dead, but by what Jesus showed us from his resurrection, that he also resurrects us in the end, because God is not a God of the dead, but he is a God of the living. He brings back to life those who have put their trust in Jesus.
and for the rest of eternity, those who love God and have put their trust in Jesus get to be in relationship with God and get to rule over this new creation that God has made for us. And this is the part that is difficult to hear, but is a major part of understanding the gospel, and that is the truth of our sin. I remember when I first became a Christian, I I told you we're going through this whole walkthrough around our church where we see individual sections of the passion story where Jesus prays in the garden. He is taken before false witnesses and they beat him. And if you don't know what flogging is, it is basically these whips that are tied with shards of glass and metal and they whip you with it and you're just torn apart then after that jesus is mocked instead of him receiving glory because he is god he is instead given a crown of thorns instead of being exalted up on a throne he is lifted up on a cross and even on the cross he asked God to forgive those who are hurting him. And then when I was going through this walkthrough, there was a, this chalkboard that we all had to write on. And it asked the question, have you sinned? This is where it clicked for me. I realized that I am a sinner that needs the gift that God has given us. And the reality of sin is that it leads to hell. And I talked about the reality of heaven, so I should also talk about the reality of hell. It's not this subterranean torture chamber. It is, well, it is described as this place of torment. And actually, there is a verse Jesus talks about hell, and the word for hell is Gehenna. It is a word that refers to this valley outside of Jerusalem called the Valley of Hinnom. In the book of Second Kings, so we see that Israel they have broken the law and they have decided to follow other gods. And in this valley of Hinnom, they, they make child sacrifices to this false god named Molech, and they end up putting these idols in the temple. We see that this valley ends up becoming this dumping ground for Israel. All idols are thrown into it. All this garbage that Israel has is thrown into it, and it is all burnt up. And that is the picture that Jesus uses for hell. And God is perfectly good, but we have to also know that God is also perfectly just. And we have broken his law. It's kind of like a court system where if we break the law, then we have to go to jail. And we broke the law willingly, and it's the same with God. We broke his law, and so he needs to send us 
away from his presence. It's not because God is evil. It is because of our own evil and our own decision to reject God. So those who are in sin and reject God, hell is a reality that people choose. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He wants people, he wants all people to be with him in his presence. But because we want to decide what's good on our own terms, we send ourselves to hell. And that is a harsh reality. But what is an even greater reality? They're both true. It's that Jesus took our sin and died so that we don't have to. That punishment of hell, he bore it for us so that we do not have to. I think that is so amazing. It's like in a court system, if we are sentenced to life in prison and the judge takes off his garments, comes down and says, I will take the place for this person. And that's beautiful. And that is the good news is that Jesus came into our world and died in our place so that we can be with God forever. And again, I want to say that there is nothing that we can do to get into heaven except the work that Jesus did for us on the cross. Now, I know that many people are like, well, then Christians are known for their good works and for being good people where where did the works come in and pretty much every religion says that you have to work to be in the presence of god you have to put in something to be in the presence of god and maybe you'll make it but who knows when instead it is god that seeks us and so the works in christianity is not what saves us but is a result of our salvation. So we have our faith, and we put our faith, our trust in Jesus, and Jesus gives us salvation. And because we have been saved by Jesus, that results a change in our heart to do what is good, and that is to love God, to love people. None of that will get us into heaven because our good is nothing compared to what God did for us. So let's do a recap, because I said a lot. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and created humans in his image, but humans decided to do what was good and evil on their own terms, and that led into a downward spiral of sin and rebellion against God. Throughout human history, that has been the story of humanity, until the person of Jesus came, where he lived a perfect life, and he lived a life of love, but he was taken, and he was crucified, and he died so that we don't have to. Not only did he die for us, but he also conquered death, and was raised to life on the third day, and is now seated at the right hand of God in his glory. And now, the future hope for Christians is the uniting of heaven and earth so that we can be in relationship with God again, like it was in the garden. The gospel, the good news, is that Jesus died for our sins. 
and it is a free gift of God. Salvation is a free gift of God. So I would like to extend an offer. If you do not know who Jesus is, and you have recognized that you have lived a life that is in rebellion against God, God offers you a free gift so that you can be in a relationship with him. So if you would like to accept Jesus as your savior for taking your place, dying for your sins, I will take time at the end of the podcast to pray. If you have any other questions, then I would definitely be happy to answer them for you. And I'd also like to say, if you are someone who has accepted Christianity just as a ticket so then you can get into heaven one day, you're like, oh, I got the ticket of Christianity. Now I just need to punch in and enter into heaven. The fruit of the Spirit are what result from a true repentance and turning from sin and accepting salvation. If you have been a Christian just so then you can enter into heaven one day, I would also like to pray with you too because the gospel is more than just entering into heaven one day. It's about being in relationship with God right now, this moment, not later, but right now. Jesus in the Gospels said, Many will come in my name, saying, Lord, Lord, do we not do many works in your name? And Jesus said to them, Depart from me, I never knew you. I want to say that again. Many people will come before Jesus and say, Lord, Lord. But Jesus will say to them, Depart from me, I never knew you. So if you are living a life that is in rebellion against God and you want to have this relationship with God, then accept him into your life. Those who believe in their heart and say with their mouth that Jesus is Lord will be given the gift of salvation. Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice for us. This isn't only a message for those who don't believe in you. It is a message for everyone to hear today. We all need you, Lord, because you did for us what we could not do. And you took our sins in spite of our rebellion against you. And you died so that we can have a life and life to the fullest in you, not in anything else, just you. You died so that we can be in relationship with God, not just to get into heaven one day, but to have a relationship with God today. So Lord, we acknowledge your sacrifice for us. We believe that you died for our sins and that you have raised to life again, conquering death and showing that you have power over all. Lord, thank you so much for your salvation. Lord, we're sorry for our sins that we have committed against you, our wrongs that we have done against you. Lord, we turn from our sins. We walk in relationship with you. Thank you, Lord, your forgiveness that you have given us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so that is the end of the podcast. Thank you all for listening. 
I hope that this was a blessing to you. I know I enjoyed recording it. If you have any questions about the Bible or salvation or Jesus, anything, then you can contact me on Instagram. I will make a, an Instagram account for this podcast. This is going to probably be the best way to contact me about questions or, or anything. Again, thank you everyone for listening in. Uh, this was a bit of a longer episode, but that's okay. I love getting to talk about Jesus, and I hope that this material was a blessing to you. Yeah, I am I'm going to be recording future episodes, probably releasing another one next week. So if you have any suggestions about what I should do for the next episode, then please message me. All right. Thank you all. You have a wonderful day. God bless.